in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Well, this episode is a little different. I'm talking to Raghu Raman, and Raghu has 12 years of experience as an officer in the Indian Armed Forces, 16 years of corporate life, he was the CEO of four separate companies, and five years as a bureaucrat also in the Indian government. Now, we'd intended to talk about something called navigating the ruptured world, but as you'll hear in this episode, we went off on a tangent, which was probably my fault, and we stayed there. So this episode is a wonderful addition and a continuation of storytelling for leaders, and we'll link it to the episode you've just listened to with Radhika Gupta. So enjoy. Uh, And Raghu, you have a great, and some might say an eclectic background. Tell us a little bit about that background itself. Well, uh, yes, I do believe that my background has been slightly unique. I mean, uh, I spent about uh, 12 years in the armed forces, and then I moved uh, into the private sector. I was there for about 12 years, and that's not that uncommon. Of course, you have people who have left the government and joined the private sector. There are quite a few of them. But then I rejoined the government back when uh, uh, we had this uh, Mumbai attack in, uh, uh, in 2008. I was asked to, yeah, so I was uh, recalled back into the government to raise the national intelligence grid, which is, uh, I can say, a loose parallel with the GCHQ in UK. Not exactly the same thing, but uh, uh, similar to that. Right. So then I went back to the government, worked there for almost five years, and uh, then I came back into the corporate world uh, in 2014. And from 2014 until last May, I was working with uh, Reliance Industries as their head of uh, risk security in uh, some of the new ventures. And uh, post that, I decided to take a sabbatical. So uh, it's been a year since I did that. In between, I've uh, done some fun stuff like writing a book. I've been uh, teaching in universities. I'm a member of the uh, uh, Distinguished Fellow in the ORF. I teach in some of the uh, military establishments uh, and and government establishments again. So it's a lot of fun. So, uh, and in the private sector, I think um, a lot of the leadership depends on material tools. There is a certain amount of dependence on them in terms of whether it's ESOPs, pay hikes, employee of the month, those kind of aspects. And of course, when you work in the government, uh, all those tools are taken away. And uh, the government style of leadership is far more uh, process driven. It's far more consensus driven. Uh, you are less like you're, you're absolutely not going to be rewarded for something great that you did, but you'll definitely be skewered if you did something wrong. Right. So there is a, a while, while in the private sector, there is a hope for success in the government. Uh, the, there is a fear of failure. So it's, it's a very interesting set of different paradigms of leadership in all the three different worlds. But I found that some things were still common. There are certain elements like leaders' concern for their uh, people. That's common across all the three different domains. The fact that uh, increasingly in all these three domains, leading without authority is becoming necessary, especially when you're dealing with uh, the young millennials these days and Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever. They don't respond very well to authority. And I, I can see that even in the forces. It's changed quite a bit from the time when we were you know, young officers and the way I see young officers these days, uh, there yeah. is a certain amount of uh, independence uh, streak in them, which is good. It's, it's been a, 
fascinating experience of being able to operate in three different environments and, and fuse some of those pieces together. I believe that the armed forces, not just the Indian armed forces, armed forces anywhere in the world and uniformed services in, in yes. some sense, they are the origin in, in any case of uh, many of the management principles. So whether you look at the span of command or you look at uh, even inventions, I mean, a lot of technology inventions, including the internet, which we are using to speak to each other. Yes. It evolved basically as a result of uh, conflict. Uh, so whether it's radar, sonar, x-ray, span of command, load tables, I mean, McKinsey, the, the big consulting firm that everyone swears by, started yeah. by... Uh, uh, former military person who actually took the load tables that he learned uh, during his uh, time when he was working with the U.S. Army and converted that into management principles. And there you go, you have McKinsey and Co. So I think uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey to be able to take the lessons uh, which I learned in my fundamental uh, years in the armed forces and see how uh, they apply to many other areas, including right. the private sector and and I've been mostly in my career, I've uh, either been in startups or in turnarounds. And, right. and I think they, these, these principles have helped quite a bit. Perhaps it's the uncertainty of a startup and a turnaround, just like the uncertainty of, of perhaps being a, a uniformed officer or a, or a military officer. But we're going to dig into that, that eclectic background as we answer the question, how does a leader navigate through increasingly ruptured times? But I want to make a bit of a link because uh, in the previous uh, episode, I was talking to Radhika Gupta. Uh, who, who really now is known as the girl with the broken neck. And I know you know her. And she had a perspective on storytelling. But you also have a perspective on storytelling. So I just want to make a little bit of a segue there and, and ask you to share that perspective on leaders and the power of storytelling. So, of course, I know Radhika very well. Matter of fact, that talk that you mentioned, which made her famous, the girl with the broken neck, was actually, if you look at the platform, it's Reliance GCS, which was my previous organization. So right. I had uh, worked with her to do that uh, talk. And I think that phrase was coined uh, during that talk, the girl with the broken Amazing. neck. I think a lot of people, when they think about storytelling, uh, they think of it as a tool of communication. So there is this whole uh, aura built around the fact that Steve Jobs was a great storyteller and many of the great leaders are storytellers. And there is almost a sense of uh, a, a nuanced undertone that it is meant for a leader to put forth his or her point of view. Right. It is to, But that's, that's really not uh, what storytelling uh, is all for. I think storytelling is also to fuse a team together. I'll give you an example. For instance, okay. uh, let's say you have five colleagues working together in an organization. Uh, there's a very good chance that they actually know each other's uh, CV story or resume story, as I yes. call it. The professional because story. Exactly. So these are embellished uh, versions. So these are all the good stuff that you did. The glossy. Uh, you know, you the glossy. <laughs> all glossy stuff you passed. And that's okay. That's fine because that's what we do. We, when we go out, we, we are dressed up much better than when we invite people home for dinner. We obviously serve them food that we don't eat every day. And you make that special effort to look uh, good and better. And that's great when you are with colleagues. But if you want to be with teams, you need to know each other really, really well. And I, I know you operated in teams. I've operated in some sticky uh, locations. And I've always found that in a good team, let's say there is a small detachment of five people who are working together, and which, as you're aware, very often happens in some, uh, you know, some of the military operations. It's important to respect each other's skills. It's not necessary that you like each other. I've operated in a team where if I found one of those guys in a bar, we probably end up killing each other. <laughs> but when we are in a mission 
I know that there is no better sniper in the business than this guy. And so I'm safe in my six o'clock because in terms of his professional competence as a sniper, he's second to none in the Indian Army. So I may not like that person personally, but I respect that person's capability. And that's what a good team is about. So for a good team, it's extremely important for a leader to be a storyteller and a vulnerable storyteller, a genuine storyteller. Okay. So instead of a series story, I think we need to know each other's real stories. So we need to know how they were betrayed, how they betrayed people, how they cheated, how they were cheated, what were their disappointments in life, how they failed, whom did they fail. And this is information that you usually know only about a good friend. Right. But it doesn't need to take 20 years to learn this, which is what it takes. You know, typically you'll, you'll grow up with your best buddy and you'd be through those journeys and therefore you would know those journeys. But if leaders and, and teammates just decided that we are going to be a bit more vulnerable, this is what we did with Radhika. For Radhika to go out there and on a global stage to say, yes. I've got a broken neck. And, and if you listen to her talk, that's just the first first 30 seconds of her talk because rest of the talk there is absolutely no connection with the broken neck she right. talks about her you know uh, elements of going to b school and bridge and how that turned but there is nothing to do with the broken neck after that first line but that first line she goes out there and as a vulnerable leader states in front of the world that i have got a broken neck and that just frees her it, it endears her to her audience it endears her to her uh, because all of us and you know this that Groups prefer a human being as a as a as a leader, not a hero. Yes. And and uh, you know, in India, almost in the Indian Army, I've, I've seen that the troops love a flawed officer. They love a flawed leader, and and they very proudly, you know, sort of in in our colloquial in Hindi language, they will very often say that our sap is a little Essentially, uh, it's a loose translation that our our officer is a little colorful. Now, by little colorful, they mean he has got these you know, human traits, yes. but those human traits are what endear the teams to their leaders. So I think storytelling is not just about uh, convincing people about your point of view or indicating a point of view or it's, it's about teaching. You can teach people like I very often do that in my storytelling sessions. I ask if anyone can come up to the stage and explain the Archimedes principle. Right. <laughs> so, and what happens then? <laughs> well, first I ask people, to raise the, all the engineers in the room, please raise your hands. So the engineers raise their hands. And then I ask, okay, fine. So can any one of the engineers come over here and explain the Archimedes principle? And now something interesting happens that nobody usually can. Then I'd remind the others, by the way, Archimedes principle is something that you learned in sixth grade. So it's not something that you have to do engineering for. So all the rest of you who think you're not engineers, even you've been taught that. But you don't remember the Archimedes principle or at least not well enough to be able to go and explain it in front of uh, uh, people. But if you ask the same set of people, do you remember that story about that crow that was thirsty? And immediately they finish the story. I popped stones inside the jar of water and I tell them that's the Archimedes principle. Right. So you forgot the Archimedes principle that you were taught in grade six, seven, and then again taught in your engineering. But you remembered it. Uh, maybe it's a story that you heard from your grandmother or from your mother when you were a kid. So stories are also extremely powerful in terms of teaching people, leaving memorable, you know, sort of. Uh, yes. And I think stories are also extremely important for an organization to give them the true north. 
I, I, I'll tell you a story to illustrate the point. Since yes, we are on story, give us a story. We, we, <laughs> we should, I, we should, I know uh, I pulled us off subject, but <laughs> I, I like I, a story as well. So, you know, I used to work for this company called the Mahindra Group. And, and actually, it's funny because it's not even important whether the story is true or not. Because once the story takes its own feet and then becomes an urban legend, uh, very often, if you went back to the route and asked whether this really happened, it doesn't really matter because the story has taken life of its own. So this is one of those urban legends. So this is about uh, 15, 20 years ago when Mahindra's launched a new SUV. It was called the Scorpio. Right. And when this vehicle was launched, it, it took the Indian SUV market by a storm because there was really no other vehicle which was, you know, there were two other SUVs, but one looked like a funeral van. The other one looked like an armored car. And this one was like really nice and compact and it, it, it sort of triggered the imagination of the young uh, crowd at that point of time and it sold like hotcakes. Now, <laughs> what happened was that when we would sell these vehicles, in, in, and you might be aware that all auto uh, manufacturers do this, that when they place their vehicles in displays, in exhibitions or in showrooms, they actually have microphones hidden inside the vehicle because they want to hear what the people I, say. I didn't know them. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what people are saying about the vehicle. What, not what they tell people, but what they're actually saying. Hey, I wish this had a you know, a second seat here, or whatever. So these I mean, kind of so inputs that come, which people normally in the car. So they put the microphone in the car to pick up the feedback. To pick up the feedback. They do that wow. in many other products as well. I mean, it's a great idea. I mean, <laughs> so suppose you have a laptop displayed in an exhibition uh, location. You want to hear what the people are saying about the laptop. And, and right. usually, as you're aware, people will not tell the truth if they're being asked uh, by uh, somebody with a clipboard or, or they will not be, they will not at least be spontaneous. So anyway, no, I've learned story, something already. There were, the short version was that uh, we got a feedback that uh, the, uh, the spare tire, the fifth tire, that should be in the back of the SUV. You, know, you have some of these SUVs which have this yeah. drum in the back and it yeah. looks very macho. Uh, and, and you know these SUVs, that 4 by 4 You know, also know that 96% of the SUVs never leave the tarmac. But yes, they, still this, they still <laughs> have this. They still have the 4x4 and, and the jerry cans of petrol yeah. on the side and a spade. Yeah. And you may be going yeah. from one Starbucks to the other one. But... <laughs> You know, it looks run. good for the school yeah, run. It's a school run, yeah, but it looks good. So, uh, so we got a lot of feedback that the the uh, tire should be in the back of the uh, sort of uh, vehicle. Uh, but the Scorpio's design uh, had the spare wheel under the chassis, so it was below the chassis, and which is where it should be because of two reasons. One is that uh, tire is a very heavy accessory, and if you place it under the chassis, it lowers the center of gravity. Right and makes the vehicle more stable. And the second reason is when you have a tire, a heavy object in the back of the vehicle, if the vehicle were to go into an accident, it would go into a spinning torque. Right. And, and this spare tire will increase that torque and therefore it will be more dangerous. And so it is much safer for the Scorpio at least, maybe right. other SUVs, I don't know the design, but for the Scorpio, it was much safer for the tire to be under the chassis. Right. But our engineers, they came up with a design. They said, okay, fine, we're going to keep the tire under the chassis, but we'll have this drum in the back of the vehicle, which looks, you know, it looks sexy. And, you know, here we are giving the customer what they want. And, and of course, that's some extra space. They want to put their rags and oil and spare stuff inside yes. that they can put that. So this, uh, by this time in the Mahindra group, uh, uh, the, the two main sort of, uh, uh, I wouldn't say founders, but the next generation of uh, leaders, they were well into their uh, uh, old age. And one of them uh, was uh, uh, a gentleman called Keshav Mahindra and he'd sort of demitted his day-to-day uh, -day operations, but he was sin still chairman emeritus and any, anything to do with design change, logo change would go to him, you know, as right. a final look-see. And he vetoed that design. 
and we were all stunned as junior leaders we said but you know the customer is asking for this and we have satisfied the customer's ask yes without compromising on safety and that's when this you know old veteran leader uh, tells us his logic in one simple line and i'll first say it in hindi because that's the so he said that mahindra will never stand for something on the outside and something else on the inside if there is a drum then there has to be a tire and if there is no tire there will be no drum now this one story when we tell to the new management interns when they join join mahindra it's yep. it's a north star they get a north star they know that when i am in doubt of whether i should put up a front or tell the truth there is no debate because a mahindra will never stand for something on the outside and something else on the inside right and it will carry that philosophy in everything that it does including a tires design a stepney's design now if you tell this story to the rank and file you don't need to write mission statements on the board you don't need to put screen savers you don't need to issue pamphlets and and do this reminder every year about our five main i i i genuinely believe that any organization which has to make an effort to articulate and keep reminding its vision mission and other statements value yeah. statements yeah. basically doesn't have it because i don't see in any family a father having to every day in the morning tell the children okay tell me your names tell me who's your father tell me you don't do that because everyone knows it the very reason why you need to put it out there on walls and remind people is because it's not sticking and it'll never stick you you can't make core values stick by putting them on a, a wall no matter how fancy the font or the board is it doesn't work that way right the core values have to be implemented into the organization as stories and legends and and that is and, and to my mind teams are built around stories let's take an example so there is a joke that only a brit will understand okay try me <laughs> exactly now i'm saying a joke there will be a joke which only a brit will understand there right, will be okay. another joke which only a londoner will understand and there will be another joke which only the pesico family understands nobody else understands that right now that element of now the joke is nothing but a story it, it, it's it's a series of events with the punchline in the end so these stories are the ones that bind us into groups into teams into families and they develop the team's vocabulary so uh, a team will have an acronym and you've been in the forces you know that not only will the will the uniform forces have a vocabulary but within that regiments will have a different vocabulary within that battalions will have and even within the subunit there will be a vocabulary that will run which is pretty unique to that subunit other parts of the culture in many ways isn't it exactly so you you actually shape the culture you hang the culture of an organization on a framework of stories you you can't say here is the culture i'm just putting it in the air the culture has to exist in some shape and form within the organization and while people say they are based in rituals but rituals are nothing but the manifestation of stories so to my mind storytelling is not just the uh, tool of a leader to you know sort of put forth a point to to create that aspirational uh, dragon to kill or, or to give people a goal to achieve i think it's it's storytelling I, i'll tell you an example you know many years ago i was doing a session for a company based in dubai name of the company doesn't matter but there were 14 of their top leadership who were at each other's throats and interestingly these 14 also came from different uh, countries you know so okay. multiple yep. cultures and that happens as you're aware in, and in a, clash, in dubai a clash a clash of cultures a clash of cultures or you know whatever you want to call it maybe it's a clash of personalities disguised as clash of cultures you don't know <laughs> yeah, <wrapped laughs> so, <up. laughs> 
So anyway, uh, long story, short version is that uh, towards the end of that workshop, I encouraged people to talk about their real stories, not, not the CV story. And I did that by the best way I know, which is by sharing my own real story and, and telling the fuck ups that I did, the wrong stuff that I did, how I lost, uh, how I behaved very badly when I was much younger, uh, how I must have, you know, sort of uh, caused a lot of unhappiness in, in what I thought was my leadership style or whatever. Which today, when I look back in hindsight, I can say that, you know, I was being a bit of a ass uh, at that point of time, for lack of a better word. Technical term. Technical term. So um, anyway, so I give that story and then I ask, uh, does anyone else want to go? And so there was a, a German uh, uh, amongst this group and he was their chief marketing officer. Let's call yep. him Max. So he raises his hand and he starts telling his story. And it's a fascinating story, a very poignant story. So when Max was a kid and by the age of five or six, he was identified as a child protege in soccer. Okay. By the age of seven, he was already picked as a probable entry into the junior Olympics team. So they were training him to take part in the junior Olympic team, which at happens seven. maybe about an hour. At wow. seven, they had wow. spotted him. And at the age of nine, he was like, it was expected that he's going to find a place in the junior Olympic team in a few years time. And at the age of 10, his father died. Right. So when his father dies, his mother is not able to sustain that whole thing. He has got other siblings and she's a single parent and all of that. So basically his soccer dream goes up in smoke and he's like pulled out from that and he's put into yep. you know regular school and all of that stuff. And of course he did well. I mean, after all, he was uh, the chief marketing officer of this uh, MNC when I met him in Dubai, but he had this sense of, you know, loss and a sense of bitterness in him. And the whole room was quiet, obviously. There were 14 other people who listened to this story and it was a poignant story, so they were all quiet. And um, I, first question I asked the group was, uh, how many of you knew this story about Max? And of course, no one knew because this is not a story that people usually go around telling their colleagues. It's not on the we, CV. We, it's not on the... Uh, it's not on the CV. And, and yeah. we will never go and tell sad stories to our colleagues because to our colleagues, and especially alpha males, you know that. <laughs> yes. We, we'll never talk about weaknesses. We'll never talk about how we were betrayed or how we betrayed people. So it's anyway, so nobody else knows about this story. Okay, fine. Then I just took a shot in the dark and I thought, let's see how it works out. And I said, okay, anyone else here in this group who lost a parent by the age of 10? And three more hands went up. So really? I looked at Max and said, take a look around. I mean, just in case you were thinking that you are the only specimen in the world. There you go. In this group of 15, there are three more people who have gone through the same trauma that you have gone through, maybe in different ways, but losing a parent has similar trauma. The funny thing was that by the end of that workshop, this team, it happened on a, a, a Thursday evening. You know, it was a Thursday. So yes. in the evening, they were preparing for their weekend. Right. And in the weekend, they had planned stuff. Yep. These 14 people canceled everything and they just said, we need to get to know each other better. And so you come over to my place and you come out. So there were these, you know, dinners being planned. So in a way, when people tell their real stories, you firstly come to know who that individual is and what has yeah. shaped that individual. Yeah. Why is that person, you know, such a fun, like a anal about certain things? Why is that person got this... Uh, peculiarity, why is the person uh, hate a certain kind of community? Where does that come from? And usually when you go to the backstory, you can find out why people behave in a certain manner. And, and you find and once you, commonality you know, as well. You find commonality suddenly. Oh, of course you do. Of course. people that you didn't know of existed. 
of course you find commonalities you find we have all been hurt in the same way we have all been betrayed in the same way we have all had our dreams getting broken in the same way and so we are uh, co travelers in a journey of trauma and pain and once you share trauma uh, you become yes. a forged team you don't yeah. become a forged team by sharing fun it's always by sharing trauma you still remember the you know the dragon teacher you had in school <laughs> you don't remember the fun guys <laughs> so trauma is what shapes us in uh, any way and forges us into a team so i've loved this conversation because it's classically shown how the leadership enigma podcast has a bit of a life of its own because we were going to talk about navigating through a ruptured world and actually uh, we've been talking about storytelling which is a lovely addition back to uh, radicus episode as well so what i'm going to suggest is that you and i have another conversation in a few weeks time and we do an episode on navigating through a ruptured world sure. and i want to stay on this topic of storytelling because i know you're right. passionate about it and and these are fabulous stories that you've been telling us as well so let me link it back to leaders at the moment who are working uh, either in small medium or even global organizations mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. advice would you give to them in relation to the power of storytelling or what it is they need to find in themselves to be storytellers is it courage is it vulnerability what would be your advice for leaders to embrace storytelling so let me give this example with a story uh, i don't know if you read this book uh, illusions by richard back i haven't no illusions okay. Okay. illusion you must read it it's a great book anyway very old book and it's a very easy to read book not more than maybe 100 pages 110 pages so anyway okay. long and short of it there is one story in that about these creatures who live in the river bed you know they they cling on to the rocks in the river bed and they it's a fast flowing river and they cling on to these rocks and they they spend their entire lives clinging on to these rocks and suddenly one of the creatures one of these days one of the days just says you know what i'm going to let go and see what's going to happen so the other creatures say are you crazy if you let go you know you will you'll have uh, you'll be dashed against the rocks you'll be thrown against the current and all of that he said yeah yeah but let me just see what happens and he lets go and sure enough he's like flung to one side and then to another side and spinning out of control in the flow of the river but eventually he rises to the top of the river and as the river broadens while entering the ocean he starts gliding this creature starts gliding on the surface now all the creatures which are in the river bed they look up at this creature and say look at him look at him he's flying he is the messiah so the point he's trying to bring over there is in many cases the leaders actually have to let go a little bit there there is almost uh, we we all most of us have been brought our era of leaders have been brought up in a fairly authoritarian style of leadership right where we were told never to show weakness uh, and especially male kids uh, in in most cultures uh, are told hey, how can you uh, boys don't cry brave right. boys don't cry right so there is almost this stereotypical uh, sort of uh, feeding into the head that you cannot display weakness now weak weakness could be of any form including ignorance right okay right so i i have this uh, you know i don't know what to call it but i have this uh, disability that i can never ever remember acronyms i can't remember acronyms. i just so in the same uh, meeting and, and you as, as you are aware in virtually every industry that you go so i was working in the oil and gas industry uh, till recently and oil and gas has its own set of acronyms yeah so in the same meeting i would ask the meaning of the acronym five six times and i could see people rolling their eyes it doesn't <laughs> the guy get it in the first uh, you know but interestingly i have also found this that many times when i ask the full form of the acronym in the meeting there will be at least seven or eight people who are supposedly veterans of that industry who don't, <laughs> they don't know either <laughs> they don't know either now to to my mind imagine how much of fear that leader must have that despite being a leader he or she feels ashamed 
to ask the meaning of an acronym in yeah. the industry where yeah. he has been operating for decades right yeah. so i think this is more about letting go so my advice to leaders is firstly storytelling is going to be one of your most powerful tools in a ruptured time for the simple reason that during these times you need to focus on motivation and morale yes you there is there is no gyan there is no knowledge that you can give so suppose you might be you know the biggest leader in the world you could be the president of the the united states but can you tell what is going to happen with the pandemic one month down the line you can't tell that story i mean you don't know that no. right but you can definitely go back into history you can go back even if you're a startup you can go back to your history and remind the team that we have overcome much much bigger challenges in the past yes each one of us as an individual you adam me each one of us has probably gone through at least one or two life threatening diseases in our in our lifetime we have gone through loss of somebody very close to us we have lost a lot of uh, money at some point of time we have hit the rock bottom several times in our past during these times leaders take the time to craft the stories of their previous successes of their previous traumas Yeah. and some people ask me like i advise a lot of startups so they say oh but we are a new startup and we really don't have an history i said that's fine each one of the founders each one of the members who's working over here you have your personal histories personal history you've yes. seen challenges in the past you 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 lived through those and if you're alive here today alive and kicking and if you look back on some of those uh, uh, actually one of the favorite stories that i like to illustrate this point is the stockdale paradox i don't know if you've heard of it no say that again it's the Stockdale paradox. Stockdale paradox. Stock, yeah, yeah. So okay. this story is of uh, Jim Stockdale, who was an American uh, uh, fighter pilot uh, in the Vietnam War, and he was shot down over Hanoi in uh, 1965 September, if I'm not wrong. Some right. Yeah, month of September he was shot down 1965, and he was uh, uh, so when he ejected from his plane, he injured his leg while he was landing. and uh, he spent uh, seven and a half years in the uh, howlow prison which was also very infamously known as the hanoi hilton and if you if you know the vietnam war you know that uh, prisoners were very very badly uh, yes. tortured and uh, you know very badly ill treated and he was of course jim stockdale was selected uh, for a special treatment because a he was an officer and as you are aware in in pow camps officers are the ones who who bear the brunt of the torture and the second was that he was a very spirited fellow so he was constantly organizing resistance and stuff like that okay and really spirited guy i mean this guy they 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 uh, he found out that the viet cong were going to parade him in front of cameras for propaganda purposes so he beats up his own face with a stool so it's all black and blue and they can't use him for propaganda he was that kind right. of a guy So he survived the prison not for one, two, three, seven and a half years. He survives that, and when he came out of uh, the prison, of course, after the war ended and prisoner swap and all that took place, uh, many years later, uh, Jim Collins, the author yes. who wrote uh, Good to Great, yes. he actually interviewed Jim Stockdale, and and this interview is there in his book, by the way, in Good to Great, and he asked Jim Stockdale that how could you go through this and how could you make this happen. So Jim tells him that. Uh, i could do this because of two beliefs i had in my head the first belief was of course i am going to overcome these circumstances and i will prevail on that i had no doubt right and i know also this that when i look back this period of my life will be one of its most defining periods of my life and in hindsight i would not exchange it for anything okay but 
I will also not forget that I need to face the harsh realities of every day's trauma. Day by day. Now he, this this will become slightly more clearer when Jim asks him. Jim Collins asks Jim Stockdale mm-hmm. that who are the people who didn't make it, and he says very simple: the ones who had hope, the ones who said that we will get out from here by Christmas, and Christmas came and they were still here. Then they said, okay, we'll get out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes, they are still here. Okay, then I'll get out by Easter. Easter comes, and then next Christmas, and so they died of a broken heart. Right. So this is known as the Stockdale paradox, in which. the fact that you will prevail from this incident is a given there is no debate on that and in many ways it will change our lives it changed our lives you know that you won't be doing this podcast if this thing hadn't happened or at least not to this extent as what you are doing now and you yourself said that you learned a lot of skills whether it's editing or completely new domains of work and i'm sure that despite its trauma i'm not trivializing it a lot of people will lose uh, loved ones and uh, we are already seeing a lot of uh, economic downturn happening so that's a bit like the seven and a half years that uh, jim stockdale had to spend in the prison camp but he yeah. says that at the same time you should also be aware that you need to be strong enough to face the harsh realities of a day to day existence now just telling this story to somebody gives that sense of hope gives that sense of optimism reminds them that they have done you know sagas in their past all of us have have fought major major battles or at least they were major for us it may have not been major for someone else but we have fought those major battles in the past we have we have clawed our way out of uh, uh, circumstances uh, which were not very good and we have done that in the past now the reminder of past i wouldn't say glory but past successes mm-hmm. is very important to bring the mojo back and once you are able to and that's the only thing that i think leaders need to do at this point in any case that's the only thing they can do i think leaders at this point especially strategic leaders all they can do at this point of time is to make sure that the spirit the morale the mojo of their team is really high and for that you essentially need to go back into the back stories because there is no way a leader can convince his people that i have got this crystal ball and i can tell you what's going to happen in the future nobody no is one, going to be no one can do that no one can i agree with no you Wow. So this this has been a, a brilliant podcast because it's gone off in a completely different direction. Well, and we so and we've talked about storytelling. So so I I'm so glad that happened. So one of my requ- firstly uh, amazing and thank you. But two, will you come back to us uh will you come back and chat about uh navigating through a ruptured world? Of course. About um, some of those things as well. So what I've done is I've just doubled your workload. Uh, reg- oh, it's, 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 it's fun. It's fun. It's fun talking. So <laughs> there's no work. Listen, it's been absolutely brilliant. Same here. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the leadership enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.